On June 20th, 1972, Dave Koontz set out to do something that had never been verified or done before. He wanted to walk across all of planet Earth. In October of 1974, he finally completed. Having walked 14,452 miles, having faced the ups and downs and the trials and the tribulations of, of a walk that long, he guesstimated that he walked 20 million steps. He went through 21 pairs of shoes and after setting out from Minnesota on June the 20th, 1972 with $1,000 in his pocket and a mule named, now listen to this name, Willie Make It. All right, that's the name of his mule. With a mule named Willie Make It and $1,000 and his brother alongside of him, he set out. Now, in 1972, when he was going through Afghanistan, there were donations coming in for UNICEF in his name, but people misunderstood and thought that he had money on him. And so he and his brother were both shot in Afghanistan. His brother, John, died. He was in the hospital for four months, and after that four months, he began back on trek again with his other brother by his side named Peter. And in October again, 1974, he finally finished. In our spiritual walk, we can face many types of different crises. We can have the ups and downs. There is the excitement of starting there is the, the joy of being recognized by the governor, by presidents, by diplomats as you go through different countries. There was the secret hardship as he actually in Afghanistan, the only way he survived was that when his brother was shot and he was shot, he played dead. But one thing we find about this guy is that he persevered. And the challenge of our spiritual life some days is we just, through the difficulty and the challenges and the hardships, we just keep walking. We just keep persevering. And as he walked that physical life, we walk a spiritual life. So as we walk this life, I want us to think about how can we tell if we are walking a healthy spiritual life. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're looking again at this, this uh, barrage of short little verses and short challenges that come at us. We'll pick up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 19. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for our worship today. And I pray that you would give us open ears, open hearts, and Lord, a sense of conviction about who you are, what your word says, 
and help us to be doers of the word in the glorious, powerful, marvelous, wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Paul is really kind of putting his landing gear down in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he, he really begins to, to throw out these, these quick, uh, rifle-fired, short statements to challenge the believers. Remember, in the previous section, he has just challenged believers on their walk with the church leadership in verses 12 through 15, and how they are to work together so that people will be challenged and encouraged in their faith. And then he begins in verse number 16 with that challenge that we are to rejoice always, that we are to pray without ceasing, that in everything we are to give thanks. Then we are to not quench the spirit or not despise prophecies. Instead, we are to test all things and we are to abstain from every form of evil. As we think about what this looks like for us today, specifically in this section, I want us to kind of continue Continue on this theme of a walk. As we look at verses 19 through 22 and we think about our spiritual life as a walk, how are we to walk to show our spiritual health? And I think that he gives us three challenges in this passage. He tells us that we are to not quench the spirit. So, If we would turn that around, we would say that we're to do this. We are to walk in God's spirit. We're to walk in God's spirit. Now, as we think about walking in the spirit, we find that at salvation, at the moment that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit came into your life. So there's no question about this. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles and can turn quickly, slide back with me to John chapter 14, and we'll pick up in verse number 16. As Jesus is saying, look, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and this is what's going to happen when I die, rise again, the ascension happens, and the day of Pentecost comes. In John 14, 16, just just listen. He says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, notice what he says. That he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus in John 14, 16 through 18 says that the Holy Spirit is going to abide with you, that the Holy Spirit is going to dwell with you, and that the Holy Spirit is going to come. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you without a comforter. I'm not going to leave you without a semblance of my presence. And so at the moment of salvation, the third person of the Godhead comes into our life. Romans 5, 5 tells us, that the love of God is shed abroad or poured out into our lives through the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. And then over in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9, it tells us if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So that means this. If you're not certain that the Holy Spirit is in your life, then you need to ask the question, 
Do I know that I've trusted Jesus as my savior? Do I know that I've come to this place where I've placed my faith in him alone? As I've shared many times, so many people think if, I, if my good will outweigh my bad, if I can just do enough good things, then I can get into heaven. I can make it. Maybe by the skin of my teeth, but I can make it. And the Bible says that's impossible. There's only one way to get to heaven. That's through Jesus alone. And when Jesus, through his death, his Burial, resurrection comes into our life and saves us from our sin and comes into our life. The Holy Spirit is the one who manifests Jesus' presence in our life. So now with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person with the Holy Spirit in my life. Now I need to walk with the Spirit and live in understanding of who the Spirit is. So let me give you four major thoughts on our walking in God's Spirit. First off, the challenge is, is I must be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells me not to be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. If I put a If I took a glove right now and I laid it on my Bible and I had that glove laying there, that glove would not move at all. But if I took that glove and I put my hand in that glove, that glove would move. The picture of our spiritual life is this, that once my life is is like a glove and once the Holy Spirit comes in, then I'm to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is to move and control my life. I'm to be filled with the Spirit. Now, not only am I to be filled with the Spirit, but Galatians 5.16 tells me that I'm to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That means that I'm walking according to the Holy Spirit's direction in my life. I'm walking in the Holy Spirit's timing in my life. That I am walking in God's direction because the Holy Spirit is leading me in my life. The Old Testament prophet asks the question, the, the prophet Amos, in Amos 3.3. 3. It's a question that, that it's very easy to answer. He says this, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two people walk together if they're not agreed on the direction they're going? If one wants to go right, one wants to go left, one wants to go forward, one wants to go backward, you're not going to walk together. And the same is true of the Holy Spirit in our life. That I can't walk in the Spirit unless I'm saying, look, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, and I am following the direction of the Spirit. So I'm to be filled with the Spirit. I am to walk in the Spirit. Then over in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse number 30, I am not to grieve the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It tells us that that we, as we think about grieving the Holy Spirit, I I like the way uh, the, the old founder of Dallas Seminary said that grieving the Holy Spirit is often the committing of actions, of doing things that God doesn't want me to do. And it hinders the, the working of the Holy Spirit in my life the way God wants. Instead, the Holy Spirit has to bring conviction into my life. So he says, don't hinder the Spirit's work. And in the context of Ephesians chapter 4, he has said things like this. Don't steal. Don't let any evil communication come out of your mouth. Don't be filled with anger and bitterness and wrath. Don't act out of that. Okay, so there's things that we're doing that act, that cause the Holy Spirit's work to be hindered in my life. And then we come to this passage. 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 19, where it says, quench, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit is stifling the Holy Spirit. It is putting out the Holy Spirit's fire in my life. So that if I grieve the Holy Spirit by doing things that God doesn't want me to do, I stifle or I quench the Holy Spirit by not doing the things that the Lord wants me to do. So when the Holy Spirit says, look, I, I want you to, to take, take that stand. I want you to step up. I want you to share with that person. I want you to give. I want you to teach. I want you to go. And when I say, Lord, no, 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 I can't do that. That's the picture of putting out the Holy Spirit's fire in my life. That the Holy Spirit begins to, that flame of the Holy Spirit that is to burn so brightly and is to fill me with a sense of spiritual passion, it begins to, to dwindle down to a small flicker. See, at one time, maybe many of you were inflamed by the Holy Spirit working and moving in your life. And you were experiencing a walk of faith in your life. And you were saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Lord, I'll take the step. Lord, I'll, I'll make the sacrifice. Lord, I'll give, I'll go, I'll do. Lord, whatever you want. And then somewhere along the way, it just became a little easier to say, ah, boy, that, that looks a little inconvenient. That, that might cost me a little too much. You know, I'm getting a little older. I need to play it safe. And like a hot flame that was once burning, once you pull that hot coal out of a burning fireplace and you stick it on the brick hearth, you find that just after a little while, that hot coal becomes dry, dusty, lifeless, powerless ash. Some of you may be there in your spiritual life. You feel like it's dry and dusty today. You feel like, man, that heat and that fire and that energy that I once experienced in my life, Lord, it's not there anymore. Can I tell you? He hasn't changed. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life has not changed. He wants to fill us. He wants us to walk in him. He wants us to have a passion to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. What does your life look like today? Does it look like a, an empty glove that has been filled and is moving with a sense of life and energy at the work of the Holy Spirit? Or does it feel more like a dry, dusty, lifeless ash? Fortunately for us, if that's where we are, that's not where we have to stay. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, the Lord's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And then as we get cleansed, then we pray, Lord, I want to be filled again and I want to walk in you again. Walk in God's spirit. Now, he challenges us, do not quench the spirit. And then he moves on and says, and also, I want you to walk in God's words. Do not despise prophecies. It's hard in the context to completely know what Paul is talking about here. 
Often when we think of prophecies, we think of somebody predicting the future. Walt Kaiser is an Old Testament theologian who uh, is, is one of the most renowned in his field. And he said this, that most of the time when we think of prophecy, we think of somebody foretelling. But only about a third of the messages of the prophets were foretelling something. Most of them were forth-telling, he says. That they're dealing with something going on right here and now. Yesterday, I read the book of Malachi. And as I'm reading the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi does have some verses that are going to predict the coming of Elijah, John the Baptist. But most of it just says, look, you're not acting right and you're not worshiping right. It's telling and hitting them right where they are right then. So he says, do not despise the preaching and the message of Jesus Christ. So I think that there is a picture there that we need to commit to biblical prophecy in the sense of not just looking forward in the future, but we need to commit to the truth of God's word right here and right now. So as we make this commitment, again, where he says, do not despise prophecy, where we make this commitment, we say, Lord, I am going to commit to your prophetic truth in my life. Now, that could be that the Lord says, you know, uh, as, as we see in this book, there's the reminder of the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. This is the only book in all of the New Testament that in every chapter is going to talk about the coming of Jesus. We're going to look at it again next week as we wrap up and, and come to the conclusion of 1 Thessalonians. And we find in every chapter there's the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ. But it could be that God's prophetic truth just speaks to us right now. And that he says... Hey, you may think you got away with that this week, but I saw it. No one else may have heard you this week, but I did. No one else saw that, but I know. And when God's truth begins to penetrate within our heart, then we recognize that I must not despise. The word despise is to look down upon. When God's word comes and speaks to me, I, I, I don't just simply say, oh, I'm going to look down on that. Or I can rationalize that. Lord, I know what your word says, but you don't know what kind of condition my life is in right now. You don't know the extenuating circumstance and, and why we had to do that in our life right now. God, you don't know our financial condition, or you don't know about my family. And can I tell you? Yeah, he does. There, there's nothing about your life he doesn't know. And he calls you to obedience. So he says, do not despise prophecies, the message of truth, truth from the Lord Jesus himself. Commit to it. When I surrendered to ministry and later was licensed and ordained, there was one commitment, and that is to this book. People may like it. People may not like it. I've had a few that didn't like it along the way in conversations with people that didn't like it. But can I tell you, this is what I'm committed to. This is where the power of the Lord lies in. Matthew 24, 35 reminds us that heaven and earth 
will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so this book serves as the foundation of life that I stand on it and I want to preach faithfully from this book and say the authority is not in me and the power is not in a presentation or a preaching moment, but the power is in the word. It's God's word. So don't despise it. Don't look down upon it. Don't walk out and say, ha, 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 I hope my neighbor got something today. When God may be pointing his finger right at us. Commit to God's prophetic truth. But with that, we also have to commit to a sense of biblical discernment. Notice what he says. He says, do not despise prophecy. But notice that next verse that he throws in there. Test all things and hold fast what is good. Test all things. The picture is, is that we need to have biblical discernment that we need to examine closely. I challenge you. If I preach something from examine closely, am I preaching the truth? Examine closely. When you listen to a a preacher on the radio or a teacher on TV, examine closely. Does it line up with what we know about God and how he has revealed himself in Scripture? There's a sense of biblical discernment. And if there's one thing that often people miss in our day, it is biblical discernment. You have to understand that everybody who uses the Bible today doesn't fully believe all the truth of the scripture and they have errant heretical views about God or about Jesus or about salvation. And specifically, those three areas of our life, as as we hear people speak, you, you want to know what do they believe about the Bible What do they believe specifically about the person of Jesus? And what do they believe about salvation? There are many religious groups. They may come knock on your door. And they'll say, oh, yeah, 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 we got the Bible. But we also have our New World Translation, the Jehovah's Witnesses which is a mistranslation, and Charles Tez Russell, who was supposedly the one who helped to translate that, could not even read the original languages. They, they might come and knock on your door and say, hey, yeah, 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 we, we like the Bible, but have you ever read the Book of Mormon or the Doctrines and Covenants or the Pearl of Great Price? They, they might say, yeah, uh, you know, Look at us, man. We're, we're, we're into TV and celebrity life and, and we've jumped into this thing called Christian science. And we look at this key to, to science and health in the scriptures. And we look and say, yeah, they, they've got another book. But ultimately the real issue is they have a different belief about Jesus altogether. All three would deny the deity of Christ and the Trinity. So listen, you need to be responsible for biblical discernment. That means that 30 minutes on Sunday as I preach and and 40 minutes or so as you go into a Bible study is is not going to be enough. You've got to get in on, on, on God's word yourself and dig in and know the truth. 
You've got to, to listen not only in your walking in the spirit, but you need to walk in the word. Because God's word has been given to us as a precious gift of his love that reveals himself and the coming of his son and the way of salvation that comes only through Jesus. This book is absolutely sufficient for all you need in your spiritual life. So walk in God's scripture. Walk in God's spirit. But then notice the third thing that he says in the next verse. He says this, abstain from every form of evil. I think the challenge is is that we need to walk in God's will. Abstain from every form of evil. I think the picture is, is that you need to abstain from every form of evil teaching. That when someone teaches something, that you need to test all things and hold on to that which is good. There's a lot that you need to, 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 to filter through and say, no, that doesn't meet a, the doctrinal provision of what the revelation of Scripture has been given to us. So abstain from that. But not only abstaining from the, the evil teaching, but abstaining from evil itself. Remember, and, and we've kind of tried to drive this home week after week. The church in Thessalonica was, was not in Mayberry. This was not a, this was not just a nice little community where, where everybody liked each other and you had a couple of goofballs here and there. This is, this was a city that was filled with immorality and idolatry as the Roman Empire and the governmental influence and the polytheism and the idolatry and the immorality and adultery that went with it. All of the sin that went with that. He's saying, look, You need to stay away from evil teaching, but there are things in your life that you just need to avoid. Don't go back. He shared that down in verse number 15 as he gave that challenge in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 or verse number 14. We exhort you, warn those who are unruly, those who are out of step, Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Remember, we, we, we talked about upholding the weak. That probably is those that were spiritually weak. And they, through, through life and the persecution and the difficulty of standing for Christ in a culture where 99% of the people were going in the other direction, he's saying, look, come uphold those who are spiritually weak because it's so easy just to turn and go with the culture. Can I challenge you today? Be a man or a woman with spiritual integrity who says, I'm not going with the culture. The culture is moving in a godless fashion and I am standing for Jesus and I will not be, I will not be moved. That's what we need. That's the challenge of our heart and our life that we need to walk in God's will. Walking. Dave Koontz walked 14,452 miles. The doctors tell us today that walking is good for us. 
That walking briskly for 30 minutes per day or 150 minutes per, per week is, is good for you. It keeps your heart strong. It, it keeps your muscles and, and your, 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 your body moving and, and, and a sense of, of movement is good for you. It can help to reduce stress and tension. It can help us as, as we think about uh, our, our weight. We find that there's lots of benefits in physically walking. But can I tell you, there's some great benefits in spiritually walking in the spirit, walking in the scripture, and walking in God's will. We will experience the benefit of intimacy with the God of the universe. It will have an effect on the influence of those that are around us. And most of all, It could be just your walk, your words, your life that impacts someone for eternity. Can I challenge you? We're going to wrap up in just four weeks, five weeks this year, 2021. And we're going to step into a new year. Would you commit to be someone who is going to walk in the spirit Walk in the scripture. Walk in God's will. Remember, this section of scripture is just preceded by that awesome passage in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that says Jesus is coming. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.1-11, through 11, it tells us that the day of the Lord, judgment is coming. So in light of Jesus coming and in light of judgment coming, I want to be walking. And there just may be a day that I'm on my spiritual stroll when there's the voice and the shout of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ rise and those of us who are alive and remain are caught up together with him. I want to be on the walk and I want to be ready. Do you know that you're ready? Have you trusted Jesus as your savior? Do you know that you've been forgiven of sin? Do you know that if you die today, You'd go to heaven. And then if you say, yes, I know that I know Jesus. Are you walking in the spirit? Are you walking in the scripture? Are you walking in God's will?